going huge, trying to boil the ocean mm. is terrifying. What if I get it wrong? Oh my God, that would be awful. I'd rather just not do anything at all because mm. I don't want to fail. But prototyping is the antidote to that because uh. the invitation is do something tiny, just so small that mm -hmm. regardless of how it goes, you'll learn something. Yeah. So when I say small, I mean, it's cheap, right? It doesn't cost you much money. It doesn't cost you much in the way of resources. Mm -hmm. It doesn't cost you much in the way of status or face, right? It is fast because we want to get data mm -hmm. as quickly as we can, because if we're stuck on a decision or we're stuck trying to, to, to do something where we're paralyzed, mm -hmm. we want to get out of that ditch. Hi, Michelle Florendo here, and welcome to Ask a Decision Engineer. Listen in and find out how to untangle big decisions with less stress and more clarity. Decisions about what you want to do next in life feel big. They can literally change your life. That's why so many people feel stuck in the process. Today, I'm speaking with my friend, Kathy Davies, the Managing Director of the Life Design Lab at Stanford University. She's also the co-founder of Designing Your Life for Women and a master trainer of the Designing Your Life process. Kathy believes design thinking and life design are powerful mechanisms for getting unstuck and is a passionate advocate for use of design thinking to empower social change, especially around equity for women. In today's episode, Kathy provides an overview of what it looks like to apply design thinking to life decisions. She talks about the value of sitting with emotions and feelings explains why community helps us get unstuck, and invites employers to help co-create new options that work for both companies and employees. Enjoy the episode. All right. And I am grinning ear to ear because I am so happy to have you on a call, have you on the show. Kathy, welcome Thank to you. the podcast. Thank you. <laughs> I am also grinning ear to ear, as you can see. It's delightful <laughs> For those of you who are listening, we are just giddy because we spent the past 15, 20 minutes just catching up. I'm I'm so glad to have Kathy on the show. I'm so lucky to be able to call you a friend, a colleague, a collaborator. I think that's another thing I want to thank you for allowing me to bring some of the, the tools that I teach, like decision matrices, into the Designing Your Life course and just the other courses you bring. And so... Thank you for being just a co-conspirator in this. How how is it that we help people make life decisions? Thank to you. <laughs> I was just sharing all y'all with Michelle how much her work has benefited our class. I just taught two classes on decision making, and we were digging deep into things like decision matrices and so on. And I was hyping this podcast, actually not knowing that I was going to be a member of it, because Michelle's work has been so impactful in our courses, really helping students unpack decisions think about why they're making decisions, what their objectives are, and also starting to tap into different ways of knowing, which we were just talking about. So Michelle, mm -hmm. thank you. Yeah. One thing I want you to do before we start, you are the managing director of the Life Design Lab at Stanford, but I want you to just share with the audience, for anyone who may not know, what is life design? So life design is the application of the design thinking process to one's life and career. It is a structured way of thinking about how to manage ambiguity at its core. And if you boil it all down, what we're really talking about is getting curious, understanding ourselves, creating some awareness, starting to talk to people about what you might want to do next, trying things, 
and then telling your story where that means sort of putting together the dots for yourself, understanding coherently where you might want to go and what opportunities might be possible in the future. In a nutshell. Like in a nutshell. So much, so much richness <laughs> Keeping <there>. it small. <laughs> It's a framework, really a framework and a set of mindsets, a way of thinking because change is, is just unfortunately unavoidable. And so Mm -hmm. it's a way to manage that a structured process to tackle change. Yeah. And I think that's something that, that a lot of people are craving because especially I'm going to call out that we are recording this in 2022. And in the past two years, there's just been so much change, so much change, uncertainty, ambiguity, people re-examining what's important to them. And I can see how, how having a process to help people just sift through what's there can be so helpful. It has been a really tumultuous time. And I think now more than ever, people are looking for some kind of structure that can guide them in their decision-making and in their figuring out of what the next steps are, especially if something has changed without their consent. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And so another thing that I wanted to bring in, because you mentioned it's the application of design thinking to how we make these big life decisions, just providing background. Can you talk more about the design thinking process for people who may be unfamiliar with that? Absolutely. So the design thinking process originated with the products and services. So this is something that has been going on for a long time. We're really talking about human-centered design. So centering people and their needs as we build products or things that would serve those needs. And it starts with empathy. It starts with this idea of what do people need? What matters to them? What's worth working on for them? And then once we've gone broad and really figured out, hey, what are all those needs that we might potentially tackle? Then we need to define one. So then converge onto a particular need that that we might want to address. And I would, I would argue, you know, a lot of people think I've got post-its behind me in my little background here, but a lot of people think about design thinking, if you've heard of it at post-its, all, it's like post-its, post-its, galore, post-its, let's go with the post-its. And I put it up because, you know, post-its are awesome. But, and this defined step is really critical because how we ask the question will determine the kinds of ideas we'll get. And so mm. when we think about framing the thing that we're going to spend our time and energy trying to solve, if it's a problem yeah. or the lens that we're taking on a particular circumstance, that framing and reframing is a critical step. So I think define doesn't get the love that it deserves if you're somebody who knows all these little hexagons. So empathize first with yourself Mm -hmm. and and the users, then define what it is we want to work on. And then it's time for the post-its. Then it's time for, hey, let's come up with as many ideas as we can. And this is a truly divergent step. This is come up with all the possible ideas, wild ideas, crazy ideas, ideas that push the boundaries. Because as we challenge our schemas, we tend to fall into sort of similar categories of thinking. We mm-hmm. see that in decision-making, right? People have, yeah. like, I guess it's going to be this or this. Like, that's all there are. Right, and they just look at what's right? obvious Yeah. Choices. And so ideation is how, how do we come up with as many choices as possible so that A, we can have more to choose from, but B, by coming up with weird ideas, we start challenging some of the assumptions and constraints that we might be bringing to the definition mm-hmm. of the problem. Mm-hmm. And so we start noticing, oh, that seems like a weird idea because it challenges this or that or the other of my beliefs or, you know, I'm running up against these constraints. And so it just creates a greater awareness of what the problem really is too, as we ideate. So you ideate, you go super broad. And then after you've got all the ideas on the table, you pick one or two to try out. And that next step is prototyping. Hey, how do we try it out really, really small? Mm. And all of us, especially high performers, all y'all on this call who are, who are, who are, we want to get it right. I know like, who you are. You want to get it right. You want to get it right the first time and you want to go big and have giant impact. Prototyping is not that. Prototyping is about really just getting rid of fear. 
right? Going huge, trying to boil the ocean oh. is terrifying. What if I get it wrong? Oh my God, that would be awful. I'd rather just not do anything at all because mm-hmm. I don't want to fail. But prototyping is the antidote to that because oh. the invitation is do something tiny, just so small that mm-hmm. regardless of how it goes, you'll learn something. Yeah. So when I say small, I mean, it's cheap, right? It doesn't cost you much money. It doesn't cost you much in the way of resources. Mm-hmm. It doesn't cost you much in the way of status or face, right? It is fast because we want to get data yeah. as quickly as we can, because if we're stuck on a decision or we're stuck trying to, to, to do something where we're paralyzed, mm-hmm. we want to get out of that ditch. Right. We want to get into motion somehow, make a change. Yeah. This totally makes me think about how prototyping, it really is a mindset shift. It's like getting people to, to prioritize learning, learning through doing, because uh, raise your hand if you've ever tried to just like analyze your way to the right answer and control and, and and it's really happened. (laughs) And so I, I love this shift of embracing learning as a way to get to action. It is important because sometimes the data isn't in our head, mm-hmm. it's in our body, it's in our emotional centers, it's in our, in our surroundings. And until we try something or do something, until we make that prototype real in the world, mm-hmm. then we can't know the things that we need to know in order to move mm-hmm. forward. And so, you know, cheap, quick and easy. And by easy, I also mean you're like, you're willing to do it because people will come up with like, I'm going to rearrange my whole schedule and I'm going to work out, you know, 10 times, you know, in the next 10 days, every day, every morning. It's like, no, you aren't. You you haven't been doing this. Start small. How about we work out for five minutes tomorrow and we just see how that feels. If it feels good, then you can, you at the end of the five minutes, you could be like, I'll do five more minutes right? Or you could say, actually, no, I'm injured. <laughs> the five minutes hurt. Like that, this was not the right exercise. We got to do something else, mm-hmm. but just but by doing way, that five minutes, valuable data, valuable data, right? Valuable data. And then you can make the next step based on what you learn from that tiny thing. As soon as we try to set up some giant system, we're mm-hmm. not going to do it. We got other things to, you know, other fishes to fry, right? We are busy yeah. people. And so it's, it's just about lowering the bar, lower the right. bar. So prototype, lower the bar and learn. Lower the Mm -hmm. bar and learn. Try something teeny tiny. And then also, you don't have to be afraid if it fails. Because if it fails, who cares? It was a tiny thing. doesn't matter. It's just about learning. If it fails, then we just try something else. No no Mm. harm, no foul. I think what you're also highlighting is that um, sometimes people feel like decisions are this big one and done. Oh my gosh, once I go through this door, I can never go back again. But there are smaller things that we can do before that big one, if it even is that big. So, so much so. And this is where that talk to people and trying things is so important because let's say we're thinking about taking a role or a tiny prototype could be, I'll just go talk to someone who's doing that role. Mm -hmm. So that the future me, I'll just talk to them for half an hour, buy them a cup of coffee maybe, right? And sit down and ask them, hey, what are all the challenges you currently face? What are the things that you're really excited about your role? What gets you up in the morning? How do you do it? What's the meaning for for you in this role? And if you hear all that stuff and you think, wow, those things would get me up in the morning too. I love this. I really mm-hmm. want to do that. I feel myself. I could be that person. That's, that could be a future me. That's a great indicator. Then maybe that role is for you. If instead you talk to someone who's doing that role that you're thinking about taking and the feeling you have afterward is a feeling of heaviness, a feeling of, mm-hmm. wow, I, I thought that would sound great. But as I listened to Bob talk about it, like, I, don't know. I don't, I don't, not only do I not <laughs> want to become Bob, like that just sounds miserable. That's really good data. And that little tiny prototype then 
didn't cost you anything, cost you five bucks, maybe if you bought them a, a Starbucks, but it really then can, can guide whether or not you maybe talk to some more people, interview somewhere else, whatever. Right. And, mm-hmm. and I, I think we forget that. I think we think, oh, I'm just going to have to make this decision in a vacuum or I'm going to have <laughs> right. to, right. Or I make the decision and then I'm going to work at company X for the rest of my life. Well, actually not. So, yeah. So then we try, you know, we do some prototype and then we, then, then we notice how to go. Right. And this is the testing part. So mm-hmm. if we, you know, kind of go through that's the, the next stage, the next like stage empathy to find, find idea, prototype. prototype, and then test. And basically after you did the prototype, what did you learn from it? Right. Mm-hmm. You kind of take, take stock. You bring the prototype. If, you, if you're building products and services, you bring the prototype to the people that you're building for and you ask them, Hey, is this, does this solve the problem? Does this help you? And sometimes they say, this is great. Like, woo. And then you, you know, go on your merry way. But more often what happens is they say, oh, this is okay. And then you realize, oh, I didn't really understand their needs right. I need to talk to them some more and understand it better. Or hmm, I understood their needs, but I didn't define the right part of the problem to work on. Or hmm, I think I defined it okay, but I, I actually need better ideas. This one wasn't it. <laughs> or I didn't build it out the way that I wanted. So this process, you know, empathize, define, ideate, prototype, test, it, it's not a line. It's like a, it's like a wild squiggle, right? It's, it's an iterative process. You can jump from any of these steps to any other. And as you go through these steps, you will continuously learn. And that's what I like about it is there's no right answer. It's all process. It's all, Hey, here's where I am. Here's what I'm, here's what I know at this moment. And a logical next step might be, and I kind of have some tools of how to do that thing. And then I'll do that thing and I'll learn a bunch of stuff and then I'll either go to a different step or go forward. And we just keep going. This iterative, hey, what am I picking up? What am I learning? And what do I want to do next? Mm-hmm. And, I, and I like that a lot. And I will say one other thing. So that's design thinking, products yeah. and services is where it started. And when you start applying it to life, there's a, there's a step that's before all of that. And that mm-hmm. step is accept. Ooh. And tell me I, more about that. Yeah. So, and I think <laughs> this is really interesting. I was talking to somebody earlier this morning, a wonderful woman who came through designing new life for women in January Her name's Donna and she's phenomenal. And she and I were chatting about why don't people stick with things because her cohort, she's created a whole mastermind group and, and a pair buddying up and just all these great tools for this, this group of women. She's, mm-hmm. she's just terrific. And she was saying, oh, you know, there's, there's some attrition. I said, yeah, that, that, that happens every time. And we were talking about why that happens and also why people don't engage in the first place. And I said, mm-hmm. well, because design thinking and, and life design isn't always what we need at whatever stage we're in. Sometimes we're in a stage of grief or mm-hmm. of trauma or of, you know, if I have just had a major change thrust upon me by life, that may or may not have been a welcome change, right? right. And if it's a change that involves loss, loss of identity, loss of a partner, loss of something quite significant that really matters to us, there's an emotional charge with that. Mm. And in that moment, our body, our limbic system is in fight or flight. We are just trying to absorb and even get to the point that we are willing to grapple with the new reality. Because in a lot of ways, we're mourning our old reality. And so you can't get generative and come up with lots of ideas of how you're going to live without your husband. That's ridiculous. That's ridiculous. Yeah. No, that you would never do that to a friend. And so really recognizing, hey, where am I? Is this the right time 
to mm-hmm. dig in w- with life design or design thinking? Or is this a time where some other tools are needed? That's really important, really mm-hmm. important because we, we should give ourselves the grace of being where we are and, and be in that moment and then move to the next one when the time is right. Yeah. So oh, I'm so critical bit. I'm so glad that you mentioned that piece of understanding where we are and what it is that we need in the moment, because also Mm -hmm. sometimes like I encounter a lot of people, especially when they're making big decisions about life, there's this tension between what they should, what they feel like they should be doing versus what they may actually individually need. And so I'm glad you're, you're highlighting that sometimes charging forward and looking to the next step may not be what they actually need. That might not be where we are and that's okay. And I, and I think that the problem is, especially, you know, when you were saying what I should do, right. People process things at all different rates. And so recognizing, Hey, I process like this, but my friends are telling me you should move on or this is, you know, you just got to accept this. And in fact, I will share with you, Michelle, I, I think, you know, from our previous work together that I fully ruptured my Achilles in 2015 and had to rebuild. I just partially re-ruptured it. So I'm like, oh, like just the, oh, it's horrible. And one of my friends is like, that's okay. You can take up swimming. You can take up cycling. And I'm like, hold up. I'm not ready to like go into the like generative ideation phase. I'm still pissed. Yeah. And like sad and all the things that I am. And I don't want to talk about how it's going to be all great. Mm -hmm. I just want to wallow a little right now, you know? And so you know, yes, I'll get there. I teach this stuff by all means. I'm going to get to the ideation and all the things, and I'm going to get more data from surgeons and all the things. But, mm-hmm. you know, in the moment, giving myself the grace to be like, this just sucks right now. Yeah. I don't like it. Mm-hmm. I want my, I want it, you know, a week ago before I did this. Right. And all of us, I think, hear those voices from friends and family. They're trying to be really helpful. And, you know, yeah. like, let me help you make the decision. Let me help you do the things. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's just like, I, thank you. And I'll, I'll be back. Yeah. When I'm ready. Mm-hmm. And, <laughs> and so there's this, yeah. this value of sitting with yeah. the emotions and the feelings. Cause I find so often emotions and feelings point to what it is that we need or like right. one of the many needs we have mm-hmm. and there. There's so much value in, in seeing what data is there. 100%. And like we were talking about earlier, the emotions aren't always the things that we're trained to look at when we're mm-hmm. making decisions or when we're, you know, piloting our way through our lives. There's such a uh, priority placed on cognitive reasoning. You should logic your way through this. Just research it a little Just more. Think through it. Think right? through it. And, and I think that we're missing out on a whole lot of really useful data when yeah. we when we just put aside all of that stuff. All of that stuff is is real. It's live in our bodies. There's you know research now that talks about how a lot of our decisions are made subconsciously even before we know it. They're mm-hmm. made outside of our verbal reasoning, outside of our logical brain. And then we're just constructing the, the rationale kind mm-hmm. of post facto, like I'm going to do this. Let, here's all the reasons why it makes logical sense, everyone. And, and that's useful to know, because if we can start tapping into that data more consciously, we make yeah. better decisions. Mm-hmm. Oh, such, such richness here. And I, mean, I think I'm, I'm so glad we got to talking about emotions because, you know, that's a big part of my work, helping yeah. people not only acknowledge what is there, but also how can we get these different centers of data on the same page, but also just, just normalizing for people that decision-making comes with a lot of feels. That's what my last season Does was all ever. about. And you're in this unique position since you're 
head of the life design lab, you also run designing your life for women and you get to witness a number of people and support them as they're going through this process. And so what are some of the, the things that you've observed about either students or women as they're engaging with this process of life design and making big life decisions? Number one, we are all in process. We are all in process and we're especially in process at times of transition. So my students, they've just arrived at college. What the heck is this place about? What is this for? They're thinking about graduating. What do I do next? They're in the middle of their PhD and they're thinking, how do I apply this really narrow field of study to those, all those things out there after I leave this academic setting? There are so many points of transition in our lives. And the women in, in our programs, they come because they're having children or their children are leaving home. They're coming because they're marrying or they're divorcing. They're coming because a season of their career is ending and they're thinking about what's next. And all of those moments of transition are just this invitation to tap into this stuff. So the first thing I notice, everybody's in transition at times in their lives. And when you are in transition, it sure helps to have some tools to try to navigate that because transition is hard yeah. and decision-making is hard. <laughs> the second thing I notice is it really helps to do it in community. Yes. Because like you said, everyone feels like, oh, I'm me? probably the only one right now. Uh, <laughs> why why like, can't oh. I just blah, blah, blah. Everyone else has it figured out. Oh, social media, I feel like has also fed into that. We see everyone else's highlight reels and we compare what's going on for ourselves. Right. And we forget. Right. Other people are going through this too. Yeah. And everyone is going through it. I have office hours after office hours, conversation after conversation, where people will say exactly that. Why can't I just, everyone else is, you know, I don't have it figured out, but everyone else has X, Y, or Z. I'm an imposter. Everyone else is not. And if you could just line everyone up together and have everyone say that into the crowd, then you get this realization that it's just a process and life is just a process. And so that's the invitation I have for folks who are in, our, in any of our programs is talk to each other about these things that matter. And what you'll soon see is a radical collaboration is incredibly helpful in coming up with ideas and, and helping bring new perspectives and new angles on problems. And also it's incredibly helpful in normalizing that we are all in process and to letting go some of the shame, because I think that's part of what keeps us stuck is we are not only stuck, but we're embarrassed that we're stuck. Mm -hmm. So it's, you know, now we have two problems. We're not just stuck. Yeah. We also have a lot of feels about why, why oh are we stuck? What's wrong with I, us? I remember there was this one, one article I had written years ago, maybe a decade ago, but how, especially with, with like type A overachievers, there are two things that often keep people stuck. It's the shame mm -hmm. of not having figured it out and not wanting to admit or seek help or just mm -hmm. talk about it. And also sometimes guilt. Like, yes, I should be, I should be happy. Yes. Why am I not happy? Yes. Oh, what does it yes. mean if I admit I'm not, I'm not thrilled and like fully fulfilled and living my best life right now? Right. Right. And everyone else is, and it must just be me. And then also then there are all these other narratives, right? And this is where I love doing this stuff in uh, a community of just women. Yes. Mm -hmm. because not only do you have all of that, but then you have all the narratives and shoulds from everybody else. You should be nice. You should be taking care of everyone. You should be the one who's baking the cookies for the PTA. You should also mm -hmm. be the one who's kicking ass in your career. You should write all the shoulds. 
and all the various roles. And in our society, women play so many roles and have so many different narratives about what they should and shouldn't be doing. And it is overwhelming. And so the invitation to be in a space where you have some shared characteristic, and it could actually, it could be any shared characteristic, right? It could be all water polo players or all men or all (laughs) just some lived experience, some shared experience of, hey, because of this aspect of my identity, I am experiencing the world in a certain way and I can share that with you. And I expect that you might understand because you are of this, you have share this identity characteristic with me and might have experienced some of the same things. And there's something there that then allows us to open up and share a little more. So when I have this community designing your life for women, what I see is women just show up for each other. They support each other. They create mastermind groups for each other, like Donna has done with her, with Flora and with Sarah, who are part of that cohort. And they are inviting each other into a a space, a generative space, a space where people feel seen and heard and a sense of belonging. And all of that, as we know from all of the work, you know, Brene Brown and others is sort of the foundational element to being able to be generative and come up with ideas and feel like we have agency and options. And so that's what we try to create in our classes at Stanford. And it's also, I think, what happens even more naturally when people feel some sense of a bond with each other by virtue of some shared experience. Yeah. Hmm. You had mentioned before we started recording that you're also doing some things in the corporate sector. Yes. What's happening there? People are resigning in droves is what's happening <laughs> there. In all honesty, that's what's happening. Yeah, that is right? the thing Pandemic happening happened right and people had this realization, wow, my life is not coherent. Mm-hmm. I'm working too much. The working conditions are poor. I don't feel like I have agency in my work. And then we were, for some of us, very lucky having jobs where we could work from home or we had some remote options. For others, we couldn't do the work that we were doing. Mm-hmm. Right? The, we, we either lost our job or our job shifted in some way that was out of our control. And so now we have this moment of reckoning do I want to go back into that same field? Do I want to return to in-person work? Is what I'm doing sustainable? Because all of a sudden I stopped commuting or I stopped mm-hmm. and my life was changed. And I, some, for some of us, like, I like that better. I want to stay remote forever. For mm-hmm. others, it's like, ah, I feel isolated. I feel lonely. I, I need to get back into the office. How can I do so safely? So companies are looking at this changing landscape and just trying to figure out how do we create spaces for our employees to do great work in a sustainable and thriving and, and way that what supports their well-being? Mm-hmm. And I'm really glad companies are thinking about this because this is important stuff, people. Yeah. If we want to have great products or great services, then the people who are working on them need to be able to engage over the long haul. A lot of projects take a fair amount of time. And so keeping folks engaged and retaining them Mm-hmm. That leads to better outcomes. And if you can do so in a way that supports the people as individuals as well, then you have a win-win. You have really healthy, happy, and productive employees, and the employees are growing and changing and their professional growth is unfolding. And you at the same time as the company are benefiting from all of their talents and expertise uh, yeah. and really creating these teams that thrive. So I'm pretty passionate about that, as you can see, because I really think we need to create a culture that is sustainable. And this connects right back with the stuff for women because oh. if you think about the way that companies work yes. and how women have had to interact with work, mm-hmm. we haven't set up companies that acknowledge things like caregiving, mm. right? That yeah. 
the retention rates for women during the pandemic were significantly worse than those for men. Yeah. Why? Because everybody looks around and is like, who's going to take care of these kids right here? Mm-hmm. Now the daycares are They're like down. literally right here, <laughs> right? They are literally right here. And the, the fact that we haven't addressed that, the fact that we don't have, you know, now I'm going to get on my soapbox. I should probably no, please like, do. settle please myself do. down, but <laughs> like we don't have adequate maternal care. We don't have le- like parental leave of any mm-hmm. in industrialized nations. We are like lagging. Yeah. And all of that leads to dramatic inequities and in outcomes for people based on gender and their roles as caregivers. Mm-hmm. So, and also elder care, we're sucking at that also. And women are also asked to take the majority of that work on. And so all of a sudden, as we're thinking about corporate work and how we can design lives, the invitation to companies is let's think about what we're really talking about here. Yeah. And where does retention really matter? And how do you create diverse workforces that are going to create great products? And then what does that look like for the individuals and also for the organization's policies and behaviors? Mm-hmm. So I think it's fascinating. I, I, oh. I mean, I'm, I'm so glad yeah. that this work, <laughs> or I mean, you're doing this work in the corporate sector because yeah. as, as hard as the past couple of years have been, one of my hopes has been that, that the pandemic surfaced a lot of these things that are broken about what exists now. And instead of going back to normal, can we design a new one? And I love that there's, there's work that's being done with companies so that it isn't just individuals trying to design within existing constraints, but that, you know, there's an opportunity here for companies and employers to really partner Mm -hmm. to find new ways that work better for both sides. Yeah. And it's a real balance because of course, companies have objectives that they need to meet, but I'm really fortunate. I've worked some, with some big tech companies and some agriculture companies and, and some finance companies and companies are starting to have these conversations. They're starting to try to figure out what kind of tools can we give to our employees? Can we give to our managers? Can we give to our teams to just open the conversation about what's mm-hmm. possible? And yeah. then, you know, they'll all come up with different solutions, but if they can be thinking about these questions, right. Again, mm-hmm. back to the framing. Yeah. Now we're talking, now we have this opportunity to together in whatever company we're running to design something that will work and that'll work for both getting the things done. We need to get done our company's mission and perhaps the people that are accomplishing that mission. Mm -hmm. And so that feels really juicy to me. Yeah. And I think that's where process ahead of big decisions that are being made can be so useful in opening up, like you said, these conversations. And so one of the things that I'm really committed to on this podcast is that these episodes are also applicable or can be applied to real life. And so I'm curious, given the vast range of tools that exist within life design, what might be some tools or tips or strategies that you would offer listeners as they, if they want to start this process or start these types of conversations? I really like that boiled down four-step process that I, that I shared at the beginning of the hour, because if you get curious, just jot down for yourself, where am I fired? What gets me up in the morning? Just one thing that I'm curious about that I might like to learn more about. It can be anything, hang gliding, you know, scuba diving, quilting, a job in tech, whatever it is, right? If you know that you have a little fire, a spark, Mm-hmm. then that spark might be enough to get you to do something. So if you got enough of the spark that you're like, I'm actually, I'm curious enough about this that I might actually take some action. 
The next thing you can do is find somebody who does that thing and talk to them. That's it. Just talk to one person. Hey, what are you doing? How do you like it? Can you teach me anything about it? And then all of a sudden you're in a conversation, you're starting to build a community around the thing you're curious about. If you get to the end of that conversation and it was a good conversation, then you ask the person, hey, is there anybody else in this community that you think I should talk to? Because this was a great conversation. Mm-hmm. Then pretty soon you've talked to a few people. Now you're really getting some, some ideas. Oh, I know a lot more about hang gliding. I know, I know all the words now. You know? <laughs> I don't know anything about hang gliding, but you, you get you the pretend. idea, right? I can, start, <laughs> I can start talking about air drafts or whatever, you know, whatever the things are that hang gliders talk about. And now I have better questions to ask about that. The next person I talk to and the next person. And also now I know all these people who are doing this interesting thing and there's a chance maybe I could do it with them. And so then that's the next step. You try something. Oh, hey, you know, can I, can I come out and like help crew your hang gliding van? <laughs> you know, or whatever it is. I, mean, I, I should not have chosen this as an example because I know nothing about hang gliding. But, but you know what I mean. What I'm talking about is now you're in, you're in the community and in the conversation such that maybe there's something you could do in, mm-hmm. in with these folks. And, and so do it. Because if you do that a few times and you realize, wow, this is the greatest thing ever, fantastic. Or if you realize, man, hang gliding is 12 hours of preparation for 15 minutes of hang gliding. Like that's a lot of time (laughs) for that 15 minutes. That's good to know. Now, you know, something more about it, what you're going to need to do, how much time you're going to need to spend, what all the things are, what, what equipment is needed. All the, now you have all this data and you've tried it out and you felt it in your body and you're sort of in the mix with that data. And then you can make some decisions. I think I'm going to buy myself that equipment for hang gliding. I think I'm going to, right, right now, I, now I know, do I want to invest some more? This is a prototyping, right? This is prototype conversations, talk to people, and prototype experiences, try things. And by doing these little prototypes, now you can decide, am I all in? What's my story now? Now I'm a hang glider. I just hang glide all the time. Like, that's the thing I do. That's who I am. That's what I put my agency behind. And now you have a new story and that story then becomes a story you can share with others. And here we go. Or you try it all out and you're like, I don't know why I ever thought hang gliding was a good idea. It's obvious to me that I should stick with ultra running, which I've liked all along. Right. Whatever it is, you'll learn something by doing this thing. So if I boil it all down, like from those four steps, I would just say prototype, do something, notice how it goes. Just take that as data, not as I'm going to beat myself up because it didn't go well. Things go well and poorly. Things mm-hmm. go how they go. Sometimes things happen. We make the best. I love the stuff that you do, Michelle, around the quality of the decision and the outcome of the decision, right? You make yeah. the decision with all the information you have at the time, and then the outcome may or may not be in your control. Mm-hmm. You make the best decision you can, and then whatever happens, happens. And so then you have this moment to notice all right, I made this decision. I tried this thing. Here's what happened. And you pick it apart. Oh, this was in my control. I could have done something differently. I could make a different decision. I could try something else. Or, wow, there was no way of knowing that it was going to you know, storm and storm and storm for my outdoor birthday party. Right? And, and okay, well, you know, next time I'll know to get a tent maybe or whatever, but that just happened. That's so, you know, what do I learn from that? And, mm-hmm. and that process of, of learning that's what I think everyone should think about is, hey, how can I learn consciously? How do I yeah. develop conscious competence in this? Mm-hmm. Learning awesome. by doing. Learning by doing. Yeah. Oh. That's a long answer. 
Well, I mean, it's, it's so good because I think it brings us back to what we were talking about at, at the top of this conversation around that mindset shift from feeling like we need to go, go into like our little tower and think, 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 analyze mm-hmm. our way to the right decision to actually, you know, action is a very important part of this process because it's through action and making yeah. some of those smaller actions, decisions, prototyping that we learn what we need to learn to make congruent decisions. Exactly. And keeping it small. I think people Mm, think in order mm -hmm. to learn something, I'm going to need to do something giant. I'm going to need to, you know, change jobs. No, no, no. In fact, that would be, in my view, that would be presumptuous to assume that like, hey, I know what that job's going to be like without doing a little much smaller things. And so, you know, consider how do you make it easier yourself? Give yourself lots of grace. Mm -hmm. What's the smallest thing I can do to learn something about this? The thing that I can do the fastest, what can I do in five minutes? What can I do in an hour? What can I do that costs me no money? Mm. What can I do? Right. Those things, everybody thinks, oh, well, that's not enough. I'm not going to actually, that's everything. The small things add up to the big things. The small things give you that little piece of data that can steer your next small thing. And so keep like set the bar low, set the bar low people, because that, that little thing that you do, something will happen because you did that, that you could never Mm. predict that you can't think your way through. It's that action that makes the next future possible. I love that. It's that action that makes the next future possible. Oh, I can't wait to, to listen back to this recording, by the way, there's so much here, but as we are closing, if people want to learn more about you, the work you do, designing your life for women, any of these things, where should they find you on the interwebs? Yes. So you can absolutely go to designingyour.life. This is a website for everyone. There are workshops that we do, the corporate work that we do. It's all there. Stuff about the great books that Bill Burnett and Dave Evans wrote, Designing Your Life and Designing Your Work Life, that are the underpinnings of all the things that I've just been talking about. I also run the Life Design Lab at Stanford. And so if you are excited about that work and hearing about the classes that we do at Stanford and more about the lab itself, if you're a donor who is excited to give towards this work, I'm just going to put it right out <laughs> yes, there. We are there. looking for you. Check out Life Design Lab at Stanford. Well, again, I always just get excited whenever we can be in conversation. And so it's been so lovely joy. to have you It's on a the joy. Show. I adore the work you do, Michelle. And I think that giving people some tools to make decisions and giving them confidence that they can make decisions and that those decisions are going to be okay, no matter what they choose. That is so powerful. So I just love that you're doing this podcast. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you heard something today that you found helpful, please share this episode or write a review. Also, If you're interested in more resources on how to make decisions with less stress and more clarity, like my quick start guide for untangling big decisions or the decision-making courses I teach, check out the show notes or go to askadecisionengineer.com to sign up for the mailing list. Be sure to check out the other episodes this season. Next week, I'm bringing Barry Schwartz, psychology professor and the author of The Paradox of Choice onto the show where he'll talk about why maximizing is a bad goal and why we should focus on developing practical wisdom. Again, this is Michelle Florendo from Ask a Decision Engineer. Thank you for listening. 
and I'll see you in the next episode.